I was really, really excited about this book. It was it's like it's a classic kind of, you know, really good space opera. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't read a space opera in a long time. This could be a lot of fun. Like, just like a cross-galaxy romp and adventures. I read this entire thing. Nothing happened. It was, so it was like the big hundreds of pages. Of space operas. Okay. But nothing happened. And no matter what conflict popped up, everything was fine. And the conflict was all pretty minor. It's like, oh, this thing happened. Within five pages, it was resolved. And everyone was like, we love you and embrace you and everything's fine. It was like a less interesting Star Trek in terms of... Because it was very episodic. And everything was fine. And all the bad things were really someone else's problem. And like even like the, the the one character who was unlikable was like oh he's like xenophobic and all these things. Literally within the space of a chapter, he like gets arrested. They file paperwork and rescue him through paperwork. That sounds so <laughs> and then, boring. And then he then he's just like after that he's just this fantastically open accepting person. And everyone's like oh hey we love you now and before we loved you but but not in a way that was really embra- it, it was so frustrating because because it was. This? I can't remember her name. Um, it was a very competently written book. The characters had potential. The the universe she created was was really interesting. This I, is how, it was probably like a, I, like a set of rejected Star Trek scripts. No, no, that I, were, I so want to be invested in the world because the world was so cool, but there was no conflict, and the characters were sort of like the conversations you would have with like a friend at a dinner party, assuming all your friends were like very very liberal. And and then, but in, but in the end, I'd, I'd read something. A conflict problem was like, it's gonna end fine, and it would end fine. Hmm. And then like they killed, the, like they killed one character off, and I was like, you know what? If you're gonna kill any character, you might as well kill, kill that one. It's fine. <laughs> and like I I wanted to care so badly, and I couldn't. It frustrated. So I finished the book, and I'm just like, it's like a three out of five rating. But it could be so much. I just it drives me nuts. You can tell. Like I'm still talking about it right yeah. now. So you yeah. can tell. It just it frustrates me to no end because it's like four or five. Everyone gives these rave reviews, and I'm like, it's fine. Space. It's gonna be okay. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like you could, re- as I said on Twitter, you could replace the spaceship with a pizza parlor and make it about like make it about a catering event, and it could have been the same story. <laughs> Welcome into the show that has uh, in his possession now some nice bourbon ball chocolates I just snuck across the border over the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah, they're really good. Did, the pre- did, you, did you have to, like, jump a wall or something? Does, I mean, are they really protective of them? I mean, Kentuckians do like to keep Tennesseans out. I figured that they would be so inconsolable this week and that you could just do whatever you wanted in, in the state. Uh, I did watch the Kentucky basketball game from a, a brewery in, Lo- in um, Bowling Green. I went to White Squirrel. That's that's a new one, right? Brand new. Yeah. Pretty awesome. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. And that was our cold open. That was a good cold open. <laughs> mm. uh, it was a really cool little place. Um, apparently, they brew all their beer here, though, through contract brewing through a little Harpeth here in Nashville. Interesting. So you can actually get White Squirrel beer here in Davidson County. Is it on tap? On tap, I believe, with the Little Harpeth Tap Room and maybe a couple other places it, around town. Is it significantly different than the Little Harpeth's lineup? 
Yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, little Harpeth has a lot of uh, a lot of loggers now. The most of what really? Yeah, it's the one like all lager b- uh, brewery in Nashville. Because lagers are like the hardest beers to brew because it takes more time, it takes more effort, but resources. The best. Yeah, I love lagers. Yeah, I do too. I mean, just it. We. I mean, that's, that's the reason why you only see like mass-produced beers doing lagers, just because it's you know if you're going to do it, it makes more sense doing it in a large batch. But uh, Wine Squirrel's Kolsch is really, really good. Kolsch beers are just so good. Yeah. Like, I, everywhere. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Blackstone has a Kolsch that they mm-hmm. do seasonally that's fantastic. I'm not aware yeah, of any bad Kolsch beers. I mean, I'm sure there's that one out there somewhere, but uh, uh, it was so good. So that said, uh, how was your weekend? Uh, you know, today was entirely devoted to soccer, um, which was great because get up, go grocery shopping, go to the Spurs match, Spurs win. Come home, anticipating the Philadelphia Union get crushed, but they ended up winning three nil. Win two weeks in a row. They weren't supposed to do anything. Wow, hang the banners. Yeah. Might as well. They they uh, granted it's early. They're not even. So, yeah, I was going to say, playoffs. is it all downhill from here? It's got. I mean, we're all just waiting for it. <laughs> we're all waiting for the downhill trend because most most people, and including Philadelphia folks, are like, yeah, they're not even going to make. If they make the playoffs, that'd be good for this team. So we're you know we're trying to believe. That's all you got to do, man. And I made a trip to um, Frugal McDougal on Saturday. Nice. What'd you get? Um, I I had two bottles of wine, um, another Sienna, uh, which I really liked, very drinkable, and then the uh, I think the Busquet. Was that, did I get that one as mm-hmm. well? Is that the new? The, is that the other? That looks new. Yeah, I think it's the Busquet, um, which is a Malbec. Um, I didn't have any Malbec, Malbecs. so I needed to get a Malbec, uh, and then I got a um, another Viognier, and I can't remember. Which Viennese I got? They only ever have two. And then I got a bottle of the uh, uh, the 750 milliliter bottle of the Black Abbey 15 Hands, which is Ooh. a pale Belgian style, which is a Belgian pale ale. Hmm. Uh, so I've got that as well that I picked up just because they had it. They only a couple bottles left, so I picked one up. Do you know that they're going to start canning now? Interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's I good. do too because cans uh, are nice. Uh, basically, the only time I get Black Abbey other than at a restaurant is I'd have to go to uh, like the uh, the. What is it? Uh, the filling station in East Nashville, like right next to Edley's, because uh, they always had it on tap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the only time I could get Black Abbey just to enjoy it at home. Yeah, that's the most time you have to you actually have to fill up a growler. I'm most like I know, um, like homegrown here in in Donaldson, they have a they usually have Black Abbey on on tap. Uh, Frugal McDool usually has a couple of Black Abbeys on on tap that you can get filled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah I, it's I, I don't know uh, when they're supposed to be starting. I'm sure that they've got something on it on their uh, blog or their Twitter. But I saw some pictures of it on their Twitter page, where it say that hey, we're getting ready to to start canning, and they showed the cans, and they look uh, very cool design. I, I'm still on the fence about cans. I mean, I understand they're kind of they're a bit cheaper to do than bottles. You know, a lot of more of your uh, the microbrewers are doing more cans than bottles. I still can't get the taste of aluminum out of my mouth. Well, I, I, I a lot of that is Mental. perception, yeah, because the aluminum actually preserves the the beer better. I mean, glass, any glass is going to let light in, which is going to affect the flavor. Uh, the second light starts hitting, it's going to start impacting the That's flavor. That's the reason why mm-hmm. Newcastle Brown Ale is like the most temperamental beer ever because yeah. it's a clear bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean that's why you know green is used, but that's not great. Clear is the worst. The, the world's, I mean, typically the world's worst beers are going to be served in in uh, glass and clear glass. 
I didn't know that. But I know that the light thing is the reason why, like, even your milk comes in yellow jugs. Well, and that's why, like, uh, when you see, like, Sam Adams, the, the cardboard comes all the way up to the bottle cap mm-hmm. now to, to kind of alleviate that. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I, I just bought a uh, variety pack of Sam Adams just as something to kind of, I wasn't really looking to try anything new. I was like, I want to, you know, stay steady, but... Um, maybe try a couple of things and I just got one of their variety packs this weekend and I like their beer like for a you know for a mass produced stuff it's it's, for a mass produced craft beer yeah yeah, it's I mean it's a it's a very good gateway beer for people to who aren't into craft beer or anything like that you know try some of these because they've got a lot of different varieties and then you can figure out your local stuff and go yeah from they've there. got they've got the scale to get people kind of be you know to gateway in they're they're sort of like uh the green air blink 182 of beer <laughs> yuck i wanted to both both compliment <laughs> I, i'm trying to like yeah. i don't mean to insult it's like sam a adams, backhanded compliment yeah it really is yeah. uh sam adams make blood want to shoot out of my eyes yeah. uh f1 season started so uh i decided i was going to be really strong and, and try to watch the beginning of f1 season at 11 30 at night and <laughs> Couldn't do it. So I watched the replay this morning. What, what day? Last uh, night? Actually, well, it's, it's the Grand Prix of Australia. So okay. it started at 1130 at night. Yeah. What, what, but like what, what day? Last night? As in like, yeah, this last night, this morning. Okay. So, so I just watched the replay this early morning. Yeah, mm. NBC Sports is awesome. They do a good job. I, I actually, um, I, have, I have F1 muted on my Twitter feed. <laughs> so I don't see any mentions of F1. Is that because you don't like F1? I just, I'm not a race car fan at mm. all. And I, I, that's why, you know, it, it, people follow me on Twitter. When I'm going to be tweeting about something that I think I have a very limited audience for, I try to throw out a hashtag or say, mute this hashtag. If there's an official one, I'll use that. I'll say, hey, mute this. If there's not one, I'll just make something up and say, hey, mute this. I'm going to be doing this for about, you know, an hour or two or however long. Um, like anytime I do any esports stuff, I want to I want to tweet through that and right. strategy and all those sort of things. I'll say, hey, just... This is a hashtag. Go ahead and mute it. That way, you don't have to deal with it in your in your feed. Because I don't want to chase away hockey focused people. Yeah, I want them to be there, and that's why you know for just what I do with that, and not have to deal with things they don't care about. Though I really encourage them to get introduced to it. So I uh, finally caught up with the rest of the world and pulled the trigger on an Xbox One this weekend, uh, and I've had a lot of couch time this time. I got Rocket League. So oh, much hey, fun. wait to wait for the crap. I don't think the cross-platform play is up yet. Not yet, but no. I will. I when that's up, it I will. I will on we'll, play, we'll play in some Rocket League. All right. It needs to come out on Mac on Steam because I would totally get in on that. I bought it for PC, but now I just I, I don't want to run crossover if I don't have to. So, so it was the uh, first time that I'd ever played it, and a buddy of mine because uh, I was waiting for. He's a big uh, Destiny player, so I got Destiny just to to play with him because we hadn't uh, uh, like we haven't had a whole lot of time to like catch up or hang out or anything like. This is my college roommate, and he lives in Florida now with his wife, and this is kind of our way to to bond and you know catch up and everything like that. Um, so while I was waiting for that to install, we played a couple of matches of Rocket League. And I, I swear, I pissed my girlfriend off so much because I was waking her up because I was like, oh, my God, I scored with zero seconds left to tie the game. It's like, what oh. are you doing? It's a great way to get pumped. If, I mean, it, for those who aren't familiar, Rocket League is a um, anywhere from one on one to I think it goes up to four. Yeah. Four on four. Three on three is the best. Yeah. Th- three on three is, is most popular where it is. It's te- you basically are teams of cars in a enclosed like soccer style arena with a soccer ball and you have to use your car to score the goals. It's like that one episode yeah. of Top Gear where they did a, I think they did a soccer episode. Yeah. They just did a hockey episode 
where yeah you're well they they uh, rocket league does have a hockey puck uh mm-hmm. on it too which is which is great did they did yeah they? i haven't seen that not a lot of people use it we were only able to get two games on before no one else joined but the it i mean it's the same thing the physics uh, have got to be different though not necessarily so you drive the physics when you're driving are the same uh but the puck stays flat it doesn't like roll and bounce as much yeah. but once it starts bouncing it's just like a regular hockey puck it's <laughs> like all over the place because there was some times where i'm like uh, i was going straight for the goal and then i like bounce and it like flipped over my car that's fantastic <laughs> you craig smithed yeah uh, Rocket dude League. so many times <laughs> oh that no <laughs> craig, so many craig, times you could you could rename that game to the craig smith craig smith simulator and you'd be pretty good uh, just because there are so many times where i scored a goal without like i hadn't touched the ball within like 30 seconds but i was the last person on my team to touch it and someone tried to clear it and there's just so much luck associated with this game it's so much fun so your pdo was pretty high oh you have no idea <laughs> let's dive into some hockey uh Predators start the week off in Edmonton, and frankly, it's been so long. We, John and I, both had to look up who they played on Monday. I, to- I, I, I totally like, forgot. I blanked on it. Just, yeah. I remembered, and that means something if I remembered. James Neal uh, started off the week very strong. This is the uh, Predators' fourth hat trick of the year. It's pretty Which, incredible. It's, 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 of course, an absolute by far record. It yeah, is. It is. Team, yeah, I actually, uh, for a second, it took me a while because I was like, okay, James Neal, Philip Forsberg, Philip Forsberg, and then it, cha-ching! Oh, yeah, that's right. Shea Weber had that Shea hat Weber trick. Had one in Detroit. In Detroit, where they lost. Uh, the responses to the Edmonton goals mean turn, coming back, coming right back and scoring right afterwards, but um, all in all, not a great game, but, you know, there's a team that, it's a game that a good team wins. Yeah, I mean, that's, it was an interesting game because, Anytime you were playing the Oilers, it's so fascinating to watch their potential and just sigh to yourself, you know, this team should be so much better, but years of terrible management is going to just squander how many years off of these elite players' careers. And you, you see flashes and tastes in it of it, and you know, Conor David being almost an exception even beyond the other levels. But yeah, it's it's kind of fun to watch him and, and they're very difficult to handle any day. You just have to get enough shots on Daniel to come out on top, though. Yeah, and as, for as good as uh, the shots that James Neal took, I didn't. I did not think that the uh, goalie that they put in was good at all. Uh, I think it was his only his like third or fourth game. I had never heard of the dude before he uh, he suited up last time. But uh, I mean, it wasn't a great game all around. James Neal excluded, but at the same time, you know, the end of a four-game road trip, you've been on the road for a long time, you just want to get out with a point, maybe, maybe two, and you think about the teams that they were playing, and it was just a drag. Like, they just had to grit through it because those teams had nothing to play for, those teams weren't any good, and the Predators didn't have any um, anything on their end to pump them up for the game. It's like, okay, let's just get through this so that we can get and start playing some good teams next week. No, Laurent Brossoy is the or Brossoy is the goaltender that they victimized. I feel bad for the guy. Mm-hmm. I'm looking through the uh, just the Edmonton cap geek, and this is just all or the uh, sorry general manager, and it's still fascinating to me. Just yeah, every week, um, how you have all these players that they've assembled just through high draft picks, like your Eberle's, Halls, Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov's, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, and now Connor McDavid. There won't. This is the. You're never going to be able to see this collection of talent on one roster ever again, because all these guys are going to. I mean, you have Everly Hall, Nugent Hopkins, all signed for six million dollar deals. Great, you know that, that that's completely reasonable for all their skill sets. 
But when you have to turn around, when you have to in two years turn around and play Leon Dreisaitl more than just under a million dollars. Same with McDavid the year after that. Yakupov's coming up on a raise at the summer of 2017. Yeah, he's still there. Yakupov, yeah, coming up yeah. on a raise, uh, a raise by, offered by some other team that's not the Oilers, probably. Probably so. If anyone's going to move, I think it's going to be him, just because I think he has the lowest value. But when you turn around and, and paid Benoit Pouillat uh, $4 million, you've got uh, Sakara getting paid five and a half. I don't see, and they got a Clefbaum on a uh, on a pretty good deal too, four point one for him. Just looking at how much money that they're paying, that they're um, they're essentially going to turn into like a version of the Blue Jackets before they become successful with the amount of contracts that they've paid out. Are you guys buying or selling the Oilers making any kind of run the next two or three years when this where their window to really do something is going to be open? I'm undecided right now just because. Peter Chiarelli is so much better of a general manager than anyone that they had before. And if anyone could turn that team around, he'd be able to do so. Um, but that said, he's got a lot a lot of work to do. I mean, that's the biggest problem with the Oilers, is that they now have a competent GM, but they have to do everything super, super quickly before they start hemorrhaging. Because they're going to get to the point, Dan, like you were you were describing, where they're going to have players they need to be successful that they can't afford to 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 pay because they've the rest of the team has been mismanaged for so long. They don't have the same rebuild window the other teams have, despite the fact that they're packed with youth young youth players, because those guys are going to be really really expensive. What I found interesting is uh, when I was driving to work earlier this week, uh, maybe it was last week, but uh, someone from Edmonton, whether it's like the play-by-play guy or just someone associated with the organization was uh, talking to uh, Stella Consumer in the morning and said, the sense that I get from inside the Oilers organization is regardless of whether they're picking first overall this year, fourth overall this year, whatever, um, they don't seem like they're going to use that draft pick to pick anyone. Hmm. And they're going to trade it to get assets that they need or something like that. Because, I mean, think about it. They don't need another first-round draft pick. They've already got enough, and they haven't done anything with the ones that they do have. So if they can use that to get some draft picks and some roster players or some prospects or something like that, that would behoove them and be smarter for them to do that rather than pick even Austin Matthews, which I thought was interesting to hear from someone you know associated with uh, Edmonton or at least in the know there. Because I think that's something that they've, People have been saying about them for years now. Yeah, you got uh, Jordan Everly. How old, real quick? How old is Jordan Everly? Twenty three, slightly older. I, 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 usually, people say older because he's been there for so long, but he's twenty five. Uh, he signed until the summer of twenty nineteen. He's the first of their big contracts. They're gonna they're gonna start uh, falling off into unrestricted free agency. So they've got about a three year window to make something happen with Everly Hall, Nugent Hopkins before those guys start leaving. Because let's. I mean, if you're going to hold on to Connor McDavid with everything you've got at that point. I mean, McDavid's going to be due a raise at the summer of uh, 2018, and given how well he's doing on that team, putting up those stats, he's going to get I, paid. I, I think with the Oilers is they need to take a... It'd be, well, it'd be fantastic for them to take a really pragmatic approach and look at how other teams have built when that have been the same situation and found success. Obviously, the team you look at is the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think is the best sort of thing. They 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 ended up after some really terrible years with two elite players, centers. So if a team like the Oilers can say, okay, we can structure with the two 
definite centers that we want because they have plenty of elite centers. So get two the two elite centers they want, probably like maybe Dre Seidel and uh and McDavid. and McDavid, and then say, hey, let's take these really awesome pieces we have, and it may hurt, but let's just start sending them off for and, and filling our ranks with with players. So sending out and making making really creative deals to bring in the types of players you need to really round everything out. I, I think you maybe Eberle you hold on to um, Taylor Hall, perhaps. Taylor Hall, T- Taylor Hall, and Nugent Hopkins are fantastic pieces that you can play with. I mean, can you not fill your your bottom six and stock your defense with those two guys alone? I think you might want to hold on to Taylor Hall, I though. Hold on to Taylor Hall, but, Nugent uh, Hopkins. Yes, yeah, I think that that honestly, uh, if I saw anyone other than Yakupov going this summer, it'd be R and H, and because I. I've heard rumblings that he's not the type of player Shirelli wants in his organization or just like has a, has a feeling for. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, I was talking about uh, right, Nugent Hopkins. Oh, I'm not, sorry. Not Yakupov. Sorry, I missed that. Um, sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, so, and I think that he'd get a good good return for oh, that. Definitely. Yeah, Nugent Hopkins has yet to play a full 82 game year. He got really close a couple of times, but he's never cracked more than 56 points. Um, not not saying he's a bust or anything like that, but he's you know he's older than he's older than Drysaddle. Drysaddle looks to be better suited for this kind of, for the type of game that that if he's going to try to do the Bruins West, Nugent Hopkins isn't the guy that you need. No, to build not him. at all. Nugent but. Hopkins is a big is a is a kind of a lanky guy. He reminded me he reminds me a whole lot of a uh, when the Predators were shopping Seth Jones. I am very thankful they went with Johansson because he plays this bigger style that is more suited for the upper tier of the Western Conference, whereas Nugent Hopkins is kind of a thinner guy, more of a purebred scorer and less of an overall player. Uh, having said that, I think Nugent Hopkins is very is a bit higher on the talent aspect as far as being hard to play against. If that makes any sense, I think they made the right choice there. I, I think Nugent Hopkins is a guy who can go and, and become a 67-point player in another team anywhere in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think part of the reason is he's you know who who knows who's going to be skating on your wing any given night. You're going to end up having a a really good one winger on one side and a complete anchor on the other side, and that's been part of the problem is being is just being weighed down. And and that was uh, two years after he was just being thrown out with Everly and Hall every night, just the kid line. Yeah, I I just you know I I think you can you can really piss off the Edmonton Oilers fan base by Chiarelli going and making a bunch of really smart deals, but then when the team actually starts winning games because they have a full team and not just a bunch of kids who are really, really good at hockey, the fans will be much happier, much more quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, at this point, I don't think you could piss off Edmonton Oilers fans as long as they see, like, some idea behind it. Like, if it looks like it's going to be better for the team and get them up to a mm-hmm. better... I mean, they're so tired of what's been going on that, hey, anything's a step in the right direction. And they're moving into a new arena, too, so you got to justify those ticket prices somehow. Yep, exactly. <sighs> Followed up with a uh, Thursday night victory over the Islanders. Um, the game was lucky that the Islanders got it to one to one because at that time the Predators looked like they were getting ready to go up two nothing. Uh, Forsberg shot, but as a whole, uh, the top line once again carries the water. Ryan Johansson, first star of the game, goal and assist. Good to see him contributing, and that goal he had was uh, just was awesome. Goal. He, you could see the flames coming out of his exhaust on that. He was running so fast up to the goal. Oh man, that game was good. That was a good game. I mean, that was yeah. That was, was the best game of the week. That was oh, easily the best game of the week. And, and I think the Predators were even a little unlucky not to not to just completely dominated the scoreboard. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. That that first goal that they that they scored was just kind of a, one of those weird, fluky, uh, unlucky 
plays that they have, and it kind of reminded me early in the season that would have been like the deflating, back-breaking goal, and who knows what they would have done at that. But at that point, they're like, hey, you know what? We've been the better team so far this game. Let's keep doing that, and look what happened. Yeah, and the Islanders, I think it's good to win against the Islanders because they're one of those teams that everyone looks at and is like, oh, they should be. They're, they're a good team. They should be way better than they are, but they're, they're a good team. So for some reason, those teams make me more nervous than the guys who are like, oh, yeah, this team, these are the number one. This is like the number one ranked team in their division and all those. The, it's those sneaky, hidden teams. Yeah, they've been in the uh, kind of that gooey center of the Metro because, you know, you've got the Capitals and then everyone else. And uh, so far it's been uh, pretty much all season it's been New York and uh, – New York, basically. Uh, the Islanders and the Rangers swip-swapping, flip-flopping, whichever one you want to use, uh, for second and third. And I think at that point, the Islanders were there. I checked the standings this morning. They're back in the wild card because Pittsburgh is heated up. Uh, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's like with the, with that gooey center of the Metro, you never know what you're going to get um, all the way through. Sometimes you're going to get a really good team on one night. Sometimes you're going to get one that mm, just decides not to play. The Islanders have always been kind of a team that perplexes me because we talked about the Edmonton Oilers window. The the window that the Islanders have is kind of a tricky one because if you want to be for an absolute pessimist, uh, John Tavares is going to be UFA before too long, right? He's on one of the best deals you can possibly think. He's only making what, like five and a half million dollars or something like that. He's thin to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no other way to put it. He's he's about to have a lot yeah. of money shoved at his face. I mean, and you can bet the Islanders are going to push hard to hold on to him. It's just a matter of if they're going to be able to afford to do it and, and how that works with their arena setup where obviously, I mean, the fans aren't happy with the arena. I don't think the team is super happy with the arena. Uh, it's like how long can they and stay so there? It's becoming a problem because where the team is now electing to hold their morning skate on Long Island at the practice facility and then travel into Brooklyn for the game. No other team does this. And that's that's pretty impre- that's pretty yeah. damning and impressive at the same time. The Islanders are just looking at their uh, cap situation. They have no forward at all signed past the 2019 season. In 2018, you've got Tavares, Grabowski, who's probably going to be past his, well past his prime at that point. He's already 32. Mm-hmm. Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, all and uh, Brock Nelson, all on as rest- as uh, either what's, unrestricted free agents or except for Nelson, who's going to be what's a... What's Akposo's uh, contract look like? Akposo is a today, UFA at the end of this not year. Not today, but this, this year. <laughs> today, right now. <laughs> he's done. No, he, he's... Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's an interesting player in free agency. He uh, He's, he's going to be UFA, right? Yeah. yeah. So and Because they, they were looking at, you know... Way back when, when the the deadline rumors were going, they were like, okay, well, it's kind of like the Louis Erickson thing. Like, do you trade him and get something for him, or do you use him? And ultimately, they need him for any type of playoff run that they oh, that they're going to use. No and you know, using him and you know, winning a round or winning a round or two is better than anything that they could probably get in a trade. But he's by all intents and purposes gone after this season because I don't think that they can afford him and I think that if they could or if they were there was a deal to be made they would have done that already yeah that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch where he goes yeah, he's going to be in demand I, think I can just imagine if the Kings had the calf space to, to want him so bad well, he'd be perfect for him Lucic is a uh, UFA after this year and so. Vancouver's going to overpay that guy mm-hmm. you just watch good um, for them I don't want him yeah <laughs> the look just Closing up here on the Islanders. The Islanders, another team that has kind of a three-year, has a two-year window after this year. Uh, you're talking about Okposo, uh, Franz Nielsen, UFA at the end of the year. Uh, Matt Martin, who's not good, so he's not a factor, but he's also UFA at the end of the year. Uh, they have their defense, though, locked up all the way to 2020. 
It's because they did those crazy Boychuk and Letty contracts. Yeah, Nick Letty looks to be worth it. Nick Letty's only getting paid around $5.5 million a year, and that's very good for a puck-moving defenseman. And Johnny Boychuk, he's, his name sounds like he's a good player. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pretty good player. Yeah, I, hear, I associate the name Boychuk with being good at hockey, and I don't know if he is. Well, he's part, I guess because I'm, I'm used to hearing uh, Jack Edwards scream it. So. Yeah, he's a, he blocks shots, and he's got a hell of a shot himself. So he's uh, he's good. Uh, they followed up on Friday on the second half of a back-to-back, uh, and they play Carter Hutton and DC. Uh, they <laughs> lose against the uh, lose against the Caps four to one. Not over, not upset about it. Uh, I got a uh, Twitter message stating that is this this team coming back to earth? No, it's I the saw fact that. it's the I'm fact like, that they're playing the best team in the league by a mile, and they're on the second of a back to night of a back to back playing their backup goaltender who hasn't had a start in a little uh, bit. And, and yeah, I mean we saw. Like the most familiar version of Carter Hunter we're used to from prior seasons. The oh, how did he? What did that really go in? Like, how is he not in position for? How did he not see the? the yeah, it was perplexing mm-hmm. and confusing. And that's Carter Hutton. I would re- much rather Hutton play against the Capitals because, the, frankly, the Capitals have players that can do that. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov may already be an elite passer in this league. And you talk about a guy who elicits that reaction of how did that, that, uh, guys? I'm sorry. So what, I'd much rather Hutton be given that reaction than Pecorino. So uh, uh, I'm I'm aware that not uh, as many uh, Preds fans and hockey Twitter fans and stuff like that followed the Capitals as closely as I do. Um, but it was amazing to see the reactions from that uh, behind the back uh, pass and the trapezoid because he's done that seven or eight times this season and gotten a goal on it. And there are some times when. Uh, where it doesn't come in anymore, and it's getting to the point now where other players are starting to to utilize that as well. But it's like the Alex Ovechkin one-timer from the face-off circle on the power play. You know that it's coming every time that he goes back there, but you still can't do anything about it. And those are the, those are the best players, the best types of setup plays are the ones that, and it's the like for the elite shooters, mm-hmm. uh, like the Ovechkin Stamkos is. You know they want to get into that, cer- that face-off circle on the left side and just rip the puck, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it to yeah. stop that goalie just get get in front of it and make sure it hits you if not oh well mm-hmm. <laughs> let me ask I me mean, as a capital supporter and as someone who's followed the capitals for a long time so looking at their situation and we're spending a little bit of time on this just to kind of illustrate a good point here mm-hmm. um capitals window as it stands right now is probably a two, two-year window yeah, this they, year and next year they essentially have the exact same roster coming back next year because uh, Oshie's signed next year williams is signed next year because uh, netsoff is signed next uh next year uh their rfa is uh, dimitri orloff who's probably going to get uh get an upgrade uh, Marcus Johansson is another RFA that they need to sign. Um, so I, I believe Lotta, Wilson. So so role players. Yeah, uh, I don't. I'm not entirely sure that Lot is going to come back, depending on uh, what they do, because Winnick's coming back next year, which was a great part of that Brooks like trade. I have a feeling that they might re-sign Richards because he's been a great fourth liner for them. He's been a great PK. So if they give him, you know, a million, a million two five or something like that for another year or two, I'd be just fine with that. Uh, but they're definitely going to bring back Johansson. They're definitely going to bring back Orlov. Um, I imagine that they're definitely going to bring back Wilson. I'm not so sure about Lada. What about Jason Chimera? Uh, he has a good season every other season. I feel like this is going to be a type of thing with uh, like Joe Ward, basically where he had a fantastic season his last uh, his last year in Washington, but he priced himself out. Like I I I do like Jason Chimera, and I I he, but he's. Kind of like the Victor Stahlberg, just a little bit better, where he was very fast but could not finish. He does a lot of things a lot better than than Victor Stahlberg does, and 
but again, like if you look at his point totals, it's one year, the other year, one year, another year. It's just up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. He's having an up year this year. Um, I'd go with history and say just let him go because you've got some other people coming in like uh, – uh, who are they looking at coming in? There's another I – can't, I can't remember at this guy. point. Yeah, that guy. I can't imagine the Caps without Jason Chimera, but so But I, to illustrate your point, point totals for Jason Chimera since 2011 – 26, 39, 14, that was the lockout year, 42, 19, 34. So, yeah, literally every other year. So I'm doing a two-year deal. It's the Con Wilson <laughs> method of, of, ho- of playing hockey. Yeah, I'd rather, you know, uh, let him go a year too soon than sign him for a year too long. That's just me. Um, any other takeaways from the Caps game other than just the Caps are an unstoppable force in history right now in the no, regular season? That's just the nature of it. The team went in and they got... I mean, they, they didn't. They honestly, they played decent. For like the first but, forty, first but, thirty-five I mean, minutes. The, the combination then, of tired legs, uh, Carter Hutton not being on point for several of those goals. You can't really blame the the uh, the one that the Kuznetsov. No, that there, there's that nothing one. you can do I mean, about no, that well, one. Yeah, I'm just making sure you know with me and Nate. If you if you look at the right. replay for that, uh, so is it like if I'm Carter Hutton, the goal's behind me. So Kuznetsov's coming over here. Carter Hutton's looking this way, the puck's going behind him the other way. So when TJ Oshie fires it into the net, yeah. he's cut harder, harder. Carter Hutton is looking the other way. Yeah. So, it, you know, I can't blame that on him. A lot of people were trying to, but you really can't. Uh, that's such a great trick play. And no, I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate that they were tired and, and that the Caps are that good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even upset about it. Two and, no two one should and be. One after, for that week, playing against those teams, I'm okay with it. That's a great, that's a, that's a great setup, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you're, uh, you're coming out of this week, you've still got some heat on Chicago, got some heat on Dallas as far as maybe chasing them down for a third spot. Uh, you're solid in the one wild card spot right now, which is the bare minimum we expected. And Johansson's line, the top line, finally had a good week. So as a whole... I'm not uh, not upset about it. Anything else from this week that you guys want to talk about? No, I mean, at, at this point, all you're really doing is fine-tuning and sharpening your blades for the playoffs. And if you put, you know, two efforts like that uh, out in a three-game week, I think you'll be more than ready to get things going once April starts. And look how right we were about the first line. We said they're going to start scoring. You can't put that many talented players together and not have them score. Mm-hmm. And there they go. Yeah, and, and credit to Laviolette for at least giving them some space to kind of keep gelling together. I mean, you don't take a player like Ryan Johansson who's playing a completely different system in Columbus and then playing in a completely different system in Columbus and then bring him into Nashville playing a completely different system without having some type of, you know, some adjust time. But as a whole, Predators are 6-2-2 two, and two in their last 10. Uh, maybe cooling off a little bit, but uh, some of that's a schedule. Some of that's the Capitals, so I'm not going to be too upset over that. Uh, you guys want to get a round of uh, questions in before we hit the break? Want to do Twitter? Let's do Twitter. We Whatever do you Twitter. say, boss. Let's do Twitter. Twitter questions. You can always reach us at on the four check. Rachel Freeman writes in. So we're getting Nystrom back. Who is he going to replace and why? I like the why part of this <laughs> because because <laughs> you know that they're going to do it. I, I saw Martell and Mark Harris talking about this earlier today. That why break something? Right yeah. now, nothing's wrong. Yeah, the, the, I, re- I really like that. I, I saw that Twitter thread where people started reacting to that about, you know, people. People were the argument was really around, hey, what what comparison do we use? Is it are we breaking something that's not broken? Are we fixing you know, all these different things? But yeah, they start throwing around names like, hey, do you start scratching uh, a guy like I'm trying to remember all the names like Arvidsson Watson. or Salamaki? And then somebody said, well, really, it's it's Watson and. Uh, 
uh, Wilson that are on the you know the the short leash, and I look at all these conversations, and you go and you look, and yeah, when Nicer's on the ice, he has a just a huge net negative impact instantaneously. He is the epitome of an anchor on yeah, the ice. He 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 makes. Paul Gostad worse is the other thing. Paul Gostad has better performance with the younger players, with the more active players. Uh, so not only are you putting on a worse player by, I think, you know, Wilson is, uh, he does not get enough credit for his defensive work because everyone's expecting to score points. Uh, but he's in the bottom six. He does a lot of defensive work. And he, I think he does a good job at it. Um, he also drives play forward. Uh, Salamaki, I still think, I, I see him as, as a Bork that doesn't score goals. Um, so I just really couldn't care less what happens with Salamaki as far as where he's on the, you know, but I think he's fine where he is because he, he adds something on the ice. Like he adds what Bork adds just without the goals. Uh, Watson, I think is fine. He's kind of doing his, he's doing his work. He's doing his work fine. He's not a detriment on the ice. Um, and then why would you want to put down Arvidsson? Just give him more opportunities to shoot the puck. Maybe he'll turn into a better, he'll, he'll learn how to shoot a little bit better and, his his exit meeting for the end of the season will be, hey, when you go back home to Sweden, find a really, really good shot coach and just work with him all summer long. Because if you can come back here with a with a shot, you're going to make the team. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add with that. Um, I think I'd like to see Gabby Bork back in the lineup, just, you know, kind of try him instead of uh, Salamaki for a little bit, see how he goes. Uh, the problem there is going to be he hasn't played in, what, 50 games or something like that? Yeah. So it, it's going to take a little bit to get his timing back and his feedback and everything like that. But why, after this team is doing so well to shoehorn Eric Nystrom back in the lineup, I don't know whether it's just they, they're, well, we're paying him, so we got to put him in or something like I don't know what it is or if they're actually gung-ho about, you know, leadership and on-ice things, which, I mean, give me a break. That's where you have Barrett Jackman. But what do they do? They need his sick beats back, John. I mean, if you just, I mean, Colin Wilson's a perfectly fine fourth-line DJ. I'm sure he can. He has his music selections much but better. He anyways. doesn't. He doesn't compose his own beats at home in his spare time. Oh, Eric Nystrom, he goes home. Puts on his he, fruity loops. He he puts yeah. I wonder if he uses fruit loops. Um, he 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 composes music, makes a nice dinner, and then goes back and makes more house dance music. That's what he does. If that's leadership, then I guess that's like half of your college roommates had leadership. Except he probably has better food. Possibly so. I've seen him make reductions in 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 saucepans, so I'm sure he's much better. Mm. <laughs> Josh Coons writes in. Um, well, he actually just brought about the same question, but if Bork and Nystrom come back in, who comes out and talks about Watson? Uh, you know what? Let's uh, We're going to hold Brandon's to the after the break because he's asking about the expansion draft. We want to push that evil off as far as we can. Mark Harris writes in, with the draft lottery date set, excluding the Oilers, who do you least want to see get the first overall pick in the NHL draft, and who do you want to uh, see get it the most? And the most got to be Arizona. Yeah. Right? Well, well, uh, I don't... I don't why why are people obsessed with Arizona? Because like, Austin Matthews is you know from he, Arizona. Oh, is he, he hates narratives. Oh, I I do. I actively hate hockey narratives. <laughs> I actively hate them. I just want to see someone other than Edmonton. That's get why. It, I but. mean, that's why I was half the reason I was excited that uh, that Colorado didn't pick Seth Jones is because I'm like the narrative yeah. is broken. I uh, 
I would actually like to see Arizona get the first pick, not because of the narrative around Austin Matthews, but just because Austin Matthews is supposed to be such a great player that putting him with uh, Max Domi and Anthony Duclair and some of the people that they have bringing up, Dvorak, Perlini, yeah, yeah, would make would make that strong. great. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a hell of a team. It, right it is, and, and I, honestly, I think that they deserve it with everything that they've been through. So uh, I'm going to say Arizona. Now I'm not going to name a, a specific team. But I do have an answer, um, and this also comes from the fact that I don't like the draft lottery system, which is not an uncommon opinion. But I think that one of the strongest teams who miss the playoffs should have should be able to draft first. So let's Philadelphia. Say, well, well, no, let's say it ended today. That means no, <laughs> See, of course. Let's no, let's say it ended today. Okay. And the draft lotteries between whatever teams are not in the playoffs are in fourth. So that would be Arizona, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, who's up Philadelphia and then who's the other uh, Carolina. So those teams being the four best of the worst, give them the crack at winning Matthews, not the crappy teams that are currently trying to plummet for the bomb as quick as they can. You know, uh, someone said, I think this was actually from five for howling said that you do a point system after like a set time. Like it's either after someone's eliminated from postseason contention or like the draft lottery or something like that. So by the end of the season, the team who wins the most and has the most points in that team is that's who picks. I, I don't think you even need to go because I've seen that proposed before. I don't even think you need to go that compl- complex because the teams who are going to be at the top of that are going to be the teams that are fighting to make the make the wild card spots. So they're going to be they're already going to be the ones that win the most. So if one is fighting really hard mm-hmm. and they start falling down the standings, that just hurts them for trying hard whereas a team that's tanking is so you're basically put on equal footing. It just I think it leaves a little room for randomness, but if you keep it saying, "Hey, depending on where you are, we're just going to rank all the teams in points who didn't make the playoffs and the team at the top, they get the advantage of everyone else." So give the teams that are actively trying a chance to get better more quickly than the teams that and, because I just, uh, everyone's getting so brazen about tanking now. Uh, like two, three seasons ago, at least they they had the decency to pretend they weren't tanking. I don't even remember like th- even like going further back, like four or five years ago. I never remember people well, talking it was, about tanking. It was it was very very you know it wasn't that's because it, now it's very very brazen. So mm-hmm. people tried to at least obfuscate. Well, also, it. you've seen a proven formula where, with the exception of the Boston Bruins, everyone that's won a title recently has tanked at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, but some of them were properly bad for a long time. I mean, the Penguins, the the, the Blackhawks, the Kings—they were all properly bad. Right. Yeah. And the, the Kings did never never tank to the level of the Penguins or the Blackhawks. They Dean Lombardi's just a damn wizard. Yeah. But you, I mean, everyone knows that Buffalo just completely sabotaged themselves, and then they they try they sort of tried this year, and then I mean, obviously the Leafs. They're probably really thankful for the injury bug because they're like, oh, now we can just bury all our salary and long-term injury, play a bunch of kids, and no one cares. Yeah. Uh, except the fact that the kids who are playing are auditioning and they actually want to try to win. Yeah. Is there any uh, team that you want to see not win? That will not win the lottery, though. I mean, I don't want to see the Leafs win it. Other than Edmonton. Other than Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, it would be great not to see uh, the Leafs win it. Um, yeah. Who else is in I, contention? I, here, here's the list of teams I don't want to see win it. The Leafs. Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg. That's the list. No, oh, Winnipeg. They're not. They're actually losing because they're a bad hockey team. Um, granted, I think they. I should. I technically should have them on the list because they sent Hellybuck down, and and are, is letting Pavlich play. Move. Yeah. That's a tank which move. is a total tank move. <laughs> what about? Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel really bad for that kid. Yeah. What about so Columbus? Good. 
I'm okay with Columbus winning it because then you'd have uh, you'd have Seth Jones, Austin Matthews, and uh, who's Ryan, the other? Ryan Murray. Who's the other American guy? Is Ryan Murray American? Brandon Jenner. Boone Jenner. Man, that guy sounds like he's, you know, he's going to open for Phoenix Copley at the Civic Center with, <laughs> with, with Jake, Jake Allen, Allen Jake Brian Allen, Brian Boone Jenner's going to spend the offseason searching for the Atlantis of Nova Scotia. <laughs> Do the Blues have the monopoly on the bro country names in the NHL? You know, speaking with someone who has multiple first names, I, you know, I can neither confirm or deny that. <laughs> um, I would like, you know, just as kind of a dark horse kind of close up on it, I'd be completely cool if Carolina won the lottery. Yeah, I would. Because that's a team that needs some kind of life injected into it, and that's a smart hockey market, you know, that's not going to pay for a bad product. So I'd, I'd like to see them do it. Uh, what do we got next? This is a good ground, good uh, round so far. Uh, Kevin Harris has a double feature here. Who wins in a fight between Shea Weber and an angry polar bear? Uh, I'd say Shea Weber because Weber's not going to fight fair. Uh, okay, I mean. In reality, um, <laughs> it's going to be a polar bear. Um, polar bears are pretty deadly creatures. Um, some even say they're the deadliest land mammal. Um, then again, that guy, who, no, the guy who said that was. I, uh, there's going to be like two people listening to me, like I know what he's talking about. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a polar bear. I don't I don't care what context. I like to imagine that Shea Weber takes his skin and just like rips it in half, and he's just a black bear, like a big Co- you mean like grizzly a bear. Yeah. yeah. After that, I don't know. I'd, I'd favor a polar bear over any other bear. I don't know. Shea Weber just needs to grow out his beard, and then the polar bear doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Impenetrable beard armor. Yeah. Uh, the second part: uh, Which stars goalie will get pulled more in the, often in the playoffs? Uh, who? So who would be starting for the stars? Probably Lettinen, right? Doesn't, doesn't he have the most uh, starts this, this season? Point, let's see who's better. I haven't. I haven't seen uh, who's been. Uh, Miami has a history of being in a, a a good tournament goaltender. Mm-hmm. He has a Stanley Cup. And as you know, once you have a Stanley Cup, you've basically achieved everything, no matter what your skill level is. It's true. Pretty much. I mean, Tyler Sagan got a Stanley Cup. You just mail it in from there. Yeah, just mail it in. You know what? Just, you know, show up to Texas every day and collect a check, man. You got the hard parts over. He gets to hang out with Dude Perfect, so, I mean, like, whatever. Trick shot artists. I'll show you the video. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> I, Dude, Dude Perfect. Perfect. I have no idea. Enlighten me while I look up this information. Uh, so they're basically uh, dudes who like get athletes together and do trick shots with them. So they, they do stuff where it's like uh, they'll have a balloon floating through an arena and they'll have Aaron Rodgers on a golf cart, you know, going the opposite direction. And he'll throw the ball with a needle attached to it and pop the balloon. And they had a uh, they had a video with uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben where they're at a baseball field, uh, like shooting pucks into like little tiny trash cans and stuff like that from you know hundreds of yards away. Maybe we'll look at that in the break. It'll be fun. So I have an a- I have an answer for the goaltending situation. It's actually neck and neck. You got Miami playing forty four games. You've got Lettinen playing uh, thirty eight games, and the save percentage is nine point nine oh four or ninety point four to ninety point one or point nine oh one, whatever way you want to. So they literally are one A and one B for that team. Pretty much. I mean, the goals against are a little bit different. There's off by a tenth of a, of a goal, but not a huge difference. I'm pretty sure they just basically went out and said, we need two goaltenders we think are decently, like can support each other emotionally <laughs> uh, and are fairly mentally tough because no matter, no no goaltender, even if you put Carey Price behind that defense, is going to be fantastic, be, be very good. Uh, Carey Price, pretty damn good. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just though. trying like, to. A I'm, lot of, like, they're going to do a lot of odd I'm man rushes. Flirting with hyperbole to make a point, Dan. Mm. I like it. Uh, com- playing dangerous. 
No, did, no we were talking about uh, we're talking a little bit more about scoring chances in the next segment. Only uh, one team has given up more high danger scoring chances than the Dallas Stars. That's the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, that's what I was guessing. All right. However, fire. Good job. I mean, they can get away with that because no team has generated more high danger scoring chances than the Dallas Stars. So, <laughs> so they're literally playing with a sword on fire. Literally, just both both ends. They're like freaking Darth ah! Maul. <laughs> both sides of it. Thoros of Mir over here. Uh, Keith Heim writes in, let's say Jimmy Vesey doesn't come to Nashville and the city burns and anarchy ensues. Uh, what are our four best forward lines we could roll out for the playoffs? Probably what they've got right now, right? Exactly. What, yeah. they, what they've been rolling out is, is probably as good as that's it's going to get. Four best forward lines. So that's all of their lines. Uh, as in, like, what are the best lines that they could roll out as of right now? And, oh. and frankly, I think what's what we've seen on this past road trip. Yeah. I mean, Colton Sissons has literally seized the job away from, from Paul Gostad, whether or not the coaching staff wants to play it that way or not. Uh, he's a better player. He's a better fit for the for the other players around him too. Now you can they're going at some point. I'm pretty sure they're going to go back to the well of Gostad and Nystrom, and they'd be badly served to do that. Deep sigh. Yeah, I think all of us are just like, yeah, it's probably going to happen. But the amount of speed you can roll out there on the fourth line, and plus, Colin Wilson gives you something different on the fourth line where it's actually a threat to score. So you have to you have to play them like a regular NHL line instead of let's just hold these guys in the defensive zone. So that that's a I think it's what we've been seeing. I mean, Matthew Collier writes in, uh, do we still think the Pacific Division is the easiest path to the finals? Mm, I don't think I don't like think so any anymore. path is easy to the finals. Um, and I, I guess we should revise that for because the, the, the narrative here and the saying has kind of gotten morphed, whereas it's not the easiest path to the finals. It's the best matchup for the Nashville Predators, which is completely different. I, I think that the only team that Nashville really needs to avoid in the first round is Chicago just because there's a mental. I mean, we can deny it all we want to, but there's a mental stigma that this team has against the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Game f- five. Yeah, it, it's game five. It's you know, whether it, when you were talking about the game five in 2010 or whether you're talking about the triple overtime game five in Chicago or where was it? not game five, but game, game four. four. Game four against Chicago mm-hmm. or game mm-hmm. one. There'll only be one game five. Yeah, there's only one game five. Thanks, Marty. Um, there's something in that. I mean, if you can avoid that or put that off for another round, great. But the second round matchup between either the Ducks or the Sharks is going to be probably easier than playing against the Blues or the Blackhawks. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, that, I, but uh, but again, that that first round against the Kings is going to be. I mean, we're going to get a taste of it tomorrow as far as what that what that's going to be like. But I mean, never bet against the Kings in mm-hmm. in the playoffs, and that I think while. The, the path and the matchups are a little bit easier. That's going to be one hell of a hard fight. And you've seen that plenty of times before where, you know, the Kings just either they steamroll an opponent or they just wear them down for over the course of, you know, five, six, seven games. Yeah, the Kings are just a big, heavy team. I'm not sure if you want to play them when when you're healthy or you play them want to play them later on just because it's, if we're going to go through the finals, it, L.A. is the best team out west right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Ducks had a, had a really good run. They seem like they're kind of coming back to earth a little bit. The Sharks are just waiting to drop it into fifth gear for the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they, they're sharking right now. Yeah, they're sharking pretty hard right now. Um, I mean, if you can get the Stars in the first round, great, but that's only a one-in-three chance that's going to happen at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Twitter question. Uh, throughout the league, guys are anticipating smaller... This is from John Smith. Throughout the league, guys are anticipating smaller goalies will struggle with the pad change. How does this affect the, the future with UC Soros? 
It doesn't. Um, if you look at what the Golding experts are saying, the main thing is these guys are based around technique, about positioning, about it, it's a mental game for goaltenders. So they will, there may be in, an increase in scoring. Some guys may struggle, but they'll just they'll adapt. Because the thing is, is that some of these some of these really tall goaltenders are also super super skinny. Most of them are. So they're just going to kind of shrink and get narrow. So they may be taller, but that means you know you'll have more space on the side or or around the shoulders as well. Uh, so I, I happen to buy into the arguments coming from a lot of the goaltending experts where they're saying, hey, you might see a, a brief spike, but these guys will adapt because they're about positioning, technique, and a mental game. Yeah, I think this is more treating a uh, uh, a symptom rather than the disease as far as like you know shrinking goalie gear or changing the goaltenders or anything like that. Um, but one of the reasons why Saros is so successful is because of his athleticism. And if you shrink his goalie gear a little bit, that's not really going to do a whole lot for his athleticism. He's still going to be able to do what he's been doing his entire career. If anything, if you're going to see a kind of an evolution of goaltenders being a bit more position-minded, and the moment Pecorine his kind of get, gets more conservative with his positioning, I feel much better about him going forward. But uh, as far as Saros goes, if anything, it may help him. Yeah, I, I don't. I think the people, the only people who are concerned with goaltending equipment are are fans and the people who who spend a lot of time think complaining about goaltending equipment. Because uh, from what I've seen, goalies they're like, I mean, as long as we feel protected, we don't care what size our equipment is. Right. Yeah, as long as you give them the freedom to move, and if anything, if we if they get into more of a lighter, kind of more of a durable material for goaltending equipment, it could end up being an advantage for both sides. So it gives the shooters more confidence. Great. Honestly, I think the game has just gotten to the point where everyone's good at everything, and we should just enjoy it for right now. And things will things will always let the game adapt and not have to make an artificial change with it. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to dive into the comments section, the uh, NHL general managers meetings. Got five tough questions based off of that as well. Listen to the podcast brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. So let's go and talk, talk about some uh, NHL news right now. First off, we be uh, we don't mention this enough on the show, but the season the Washington Capitals are happening, are having right now, it's it's really special. Uh, Barry Trotz will win his first NHL trophy of any kind with the President's Trophy this year. That's crazy. I mean, the guy who's been a I mean. Who's getting the Jack Adams this year? I, he, he, he's, I mean, he, Barry Trotz he, deserves it. He should be in the running for I, that one. He, yeah, because I mean, traditionally. I say traditionally, the past three, four years, it's been the PDO award. But 
yeah, this as year, in the, as in just to explain that, that's like the team that shouldn't have a good year, but it had a great year. Well, let's credit the coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's typically just teams that have ridiculous luck. Like their shooting percentage is averaging in like the double digits, and their goaltender who you was was like previously selling hot dogs like happened to have <laughs> step in and like is all of a sudden stopping all the pucks. Uh, it's that type of thing. But but Trance is is he has got a really good team. They're doing extremely well. They're staying very focused, uh, and and it's kind of low key coaching. Yeah, and I that's mean, that's fine. To but it's to put that in perspective, they still have not. We are at the end of March. His team has still not lost consecutive regulation games at all this year. It's over, been over a calendar year since they've done so. I mean, that's that's incredible. Five on five, they are a plus thirty nine in goal difference. Yeah, I mean, we we, we got to witness Barry Trotz going from like being the uh, the chef at in Applebee's to being a chef at like an at like a like a like a Chris well, Chris. like hmm? like a Ruth Chris. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Something so we we definitely saw this, him like jump up and see what he can really do when you give him freedom. Um and you give him all the resources he could ever want. That's a lot of fun. That's a good way to put it. Um so looking at the central right now, you've got the kind of a Nashville has essentially reeled in the uh, the top three teams. You got St. Louis, which is dealing with all kinds of injury issues all throughout the year. Tyler Sagan gets his Achilles uh, partially cut and can't wait to show you pictures of it on the Twitter. I accidentally clicked and I regretted that decision so bad. I mean, first off, it's a picture from Tyler Sagan. I'm already like, I don't know. Risky click of the That's day. That's a risky click right there. And then you and then uh, you got Chicago with Corey Crawford. It's going to be missing tonight's start here on Sunday. He also missed the last start due to a uh, upper body injury. Now, the loss against the Capitals kind of cooled down in the, in the Blackhawks had me playing the Winnipeg Jets the the same night, so of course that you know gave him another two point lead there. Right. The Predators are five games back from Chicago right now. Uh, St. Louis is actually still doing what they do: go winning, winning two, losing one, winning three, losing one. That's what the St. Louis Blues do apparently. They chug along. They they just do what they do. They're a plus nine in gold in in goal difference. Not a huge. Can you consider twenty five as the uh, goal difference for Dallas and Chicago? Right now, if you had to pick a winner, uh, winner of the division between those three uh, teams, convince me why the St. Louis Blues wouldn't be your pick. Is there is there an argument? Uh, well, I know they're not the best team. At of those the three? inception of the Blues, they were put under a curse. <laughs> I think that's only for the by playoffs, a civil though. war general. Uh, and this curse survives through this day. Why civil war general? Well, he hated jazz. To be perfectly honest with you. Oof. How's that old ass Civil War general? He was he's a ghost. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe he was a young ghost. I don't know. Uh, well, he would be a pretty old ghost because it yeah. wasn't until the sixties. Um, and, and well, and so the the Civil War ended a little bit before the nineteen sixties. I still think that Dallas can win their games. I mean, they won last night, right? I saw that correct, right, on my ticker. I mean, I I mainly yep, they won three don't nothing want St. Louis or Chicago to win. The division again. I'd I'd much rather Dallas. They give them you know something to hang their hat on. So when they get bounced out of the first round, they're like, "Hey, we got that." The old Colorado, the old Colorado banner. Yeah. <laughs> the Kings. We talked about them a bit earlier in the show. The Kings have opened up a four-point lead over the Ducks after briefly surrendering the division lead to the Ducks. Um, it looks like a six-point lead right now. Yeah, is it about to be a six-point lead? Oh, I. 
Oh, wait. Are they doing that weird thing where they... No, it says... It says I see 93 points for the Kings and 87 for the Ducks. I see 89 for the Ducks. They, they just played Winnipeg earlier today and beat them. Oh, the game must have ended since I opened this window. <laughs> there you go. Sharks the are sitting NHL. there at 86. Uh, it's quite possible the wildcard team may finish with a better record than the Sharks. Sharks have been playing good hockey. You know, they're seven out of their last ten. They're winners. Just doing typical San Jose Sharks stuff. Talk about the East real quick before we dive into the general managers meetings. So you've got Detroit right now with their playoff streak on the line, 83 points, 72 games played. You've got the, the uh, I think the Islanders are going to be saved, 70 games, 85 points. Here are the cluster of teams you have behind the uh, behind the Red Wings. And Link, your Flyers, 80 points, 70 games played. They beat Detroit the last time they played them. Um, and you got Carolina who's still just, Mathematically is still in it. Uh, yeah, but realistically, we know that realistically they're not. Realistically, they're not. Um, however, they do play Buffalo next, so they could, you know, inflate themselves a little bit there. The division in the Atlantic, you've got Florida, Tampa Bay, and Boston just kind of dogfight that out. I s- there's a different division leader every single day. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Florida has, has held on to it more often than not, but. Uh, which Kevin Spacey night was last night, and that was amazing. Yeah, I saw that. I love it. I, you know what? It, it's when things like this happen, you always wonder. Like sometimes, like the celebrities are focused. This is sort of like, oh, that's fun. But Kevin Spacey flies out to Florida, and he's just having like, like every photo, he's just like completely ecstatic. Granted, he's a fantastic actor, but he looks genuinely just enthused to be there, and everyone's eating it up. I mean, you gotta love that that enthusiasm, that excitement. And I had a feeling he was going to have fun with it whenever he did a prom- promo video for the team where he's wearing, like, the Spacey 1738 jersey, you know, and gives the, the camera the thumbs up, like, all right, this is this is a fun season for Florida. Whenever the Panthers are good, it's always fun. They they do manage to always find something they, weird to seize on when, yeah. during their strong runs. <laughs> like rats on the on the ice <laughs> or something. I mean... The, the the just the detail that I think either Richards or Harvey put on there put on the article about the blood in the fur still being on the stick whenever he scored the yeah. goals like, <laughs> it's always something with the Panthers I do enjoy uh, when they're good let's talk about the uh, East playoff race though so if you're gonna handicap it right now you've got the Flyers who have two games in hand over the Red Wings three points of the difference uh, looking at the schedule going forward and I can pull up who has a stronger strength of schedule real quick uh, I believe that the Detroit's do the Detroits the Detroits the Detroit the fighting the Detroit Detroits, Detroits. <laughs> who's the guy who tweets those out tweets what out the strength of schedule yeah um he's does, a great follow we need doesn't to uh one. isn't it a uh, hockey viz Micah um not just him does, I, know, um, I know the guy you're talking about there does too. Emmanuel Perry do them too that may be the guy that may be the guy uh let's see what hockey viz has on his real quick before we get into him going to the other one anywho uh, if you're going to just say, uh, given that the Flyers do have two games in hand, are you favoring one over the other? Uh, no. How, how do you feel about the Detroit-Detroits? Uh, yeah, about the Detroits, uh, I feel like I'm never going to live in the world, a world where Detroit doesn't make the playoffs. So I, I just I, I have to go with the streak, but just what the Flyers are doing is incredible. Considering where they were just a couple of months ago, considering what we talked about them on this uh, station before uh, about what they were going to be doing, we all thought that this was just going to be you know a, 
uh, a regroup year as they get some of their prospects ready. Um, this is kind of an incredible run that they're on. So I, I'm going to go with Detroit. That's my gut. Uh, but I would not be surprised to see Philadelphia actually pull it out. Yeah, I mean, the, the Flyers have a decent chance. I mean, the Red Wings this year are the weakest they've been in my memory. Yeah. And they they're, some of their pieces are good. Some of them are not. Larkin has cooled off substantially. Uh, at the same time, uh, Gosses Bear has been performing at the same level consistently. He's been better offensively and defensively than I think a lot of people are anticipating. Uh, their goaltending tandem is, frankly, fantastic. Uh, Neuwirth is back to playing how Neuwirth likes to play. Steve Mason is playing the way he's played since he's been in Philadelphia, which is far, far better than, than anyone outside gives him credit for. Uh, and even me, I was super super skeptical when he, he ended up in Philadelphia. I was just sad inside, um, but I've been proven wrong, which is always fun. Uh, and no one can really complain about their, the depth of their, their uh, forward lines. Uh, I mean, there, Chen is, there, is on like 24 goals in the season. That's, yeah, that's it's, crazy. Their, their, first, their, their forward depth is great. Uh, I just don't know if their defensive depth is going to stand yeah, up I mean, in a seven-game series. Yeah. Well, I think... I think I don't think. I mean, I don't think they're a good playoff team. I think they can make the playoffs. I think they can they can overcome Detroit, but their defense is problematic. Uh, I mean, it's a combination of of old guys and bad guys and gossip bear. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, McDonald's been playing a lot recently, hasn't he? He has, and he's terrible. And for some reason, Medvedev can't get regular ice time, and Weird. he's been fantastic. Um, and it, it seems like Haxtell doesn't always know what to do with all the pieces he has. He wants certain guys to work when they clearly don't work. Uh, but no, I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I, I want to see Detroit get dethroned. Uh, anything that makes Hockey Town or whatever they call themselves a little sad is fine by me. Brought to you by Amway. Yeah, also Amway's <laughs> evil. Um, so there's a lot of reasons that Detroit should should be broken down. Um, and I do, in fact, mean that they should just break down their right wings and like ship them somewhere else. So That's fine. We talked a little, we, we're kind of been keeping a theme about the window for each team, the window for each team to make a run and be good. The Flyers have Giroux and Voracek and Simmons and Couturier and Michael Raffle all locked up to the end of 2019. I don't know why I threw Raffle in there, but we, know, we easily I, signed. He's beloved. And then you've got guys like, uh, like Braden Shen, who's an RFA at the end of this year, he's great during a contract year. Is, is he? Oh, he's all, no, he's he's been solidly good. He's just having oh, a yeah, contract. He was, he's well, just having a contract. He year. was part. He was the Kings' uh, top prospect whenever they traded for uh, Mike Richards. So that was uh, he, We've known about Braden Shen for a while, and my my boy Radko Gudis is also an RFA this year. When he's not elbowing people, in when the he's head. not elbowing Gudis people in the head. Not good. I was watching a fly. I think it was some of the Flyers feeds, and they're playing against Detroit. Uh, uh, they said, well, that was the fear factor of Gudis here. Watch. He doesn't want any part of Gudis going for that loose puck. That's a reputation right there, playing into advantage of Ratko Gudis. I'm like, man, that's. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. Those are just some orange-tinted goggles you got on, <laughs> Well, sir. it was the Flyers' feed. It was Bill Clement. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, look at Detroit's, uh, like, kind of what their window is. You've got Datsuk, Richards, Darren Helm, Kyle Quincy, Guys that aren't really good well, right now, yeah, except because they've, Datsuk, they've got a combined are, age of like five thousand years old. Detroit well, still depends on these guys. But here's the thing about the Flyers, though, is that it's not about what's who's out there right now. It's about the fact that okay, let me just let me just pull out some of the key players. You've got uh, Anthony Stallers, who's in the uh, AHL right now, who has who's been pretty good. He, I mean, he can, but you've got goal hands isn't really an issue. 
Centers, you've got Lofton, and I'm never going to say his name right. Konechi or whatever it is. I cannot. I, someday I'll learn how to say his name correctly. Nick Cousins is there. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, Provorov. You've got Morin. You've got Sanheim. And then tier down, you've got another set of decent-looking defensemen. The Flyers' window, they, they are just now opening their window. Yeah, the Flyers are, about, like, about, I think, about two or three years away from really they, doing They've it. got two or three really good defensemen who are going to be able to step in to the spots left by old bad defensemen and bad contracts and all that kind of crap. And they're going to be scary, especially because they're going to have some young forwards who aren't going to be big point getters because they don't really have a lot on the um, the wings. That's the big concern. But they'll have some some guys who can step up and, and you know contribute at the professional level at some point. The Flyers, this is scary for everybody involved. Sam Gagne, probably not going to be back? Probably not. That's $3.2 million off the books. Medvedev, probably not going to be back. It's <sighs> a shame. Another three million off the books. If they can keep him, then it'd be, it'd be good for another season. The Flyers are going to have room to go shopping this year. They need to. I mean, hopefully they. they I, I'm getting worried, but Medvedev should should absolutely stay for another season if if he can. So, let's dive into the the topic that we're essentially going to calm everybody down about, and that's the uh, the word of the expansion draft, and may possibly in a year or so away um from what we've gathered this is all reports for second information that none of it's been confirmed yet the nhl hasn't said that this is the new format or this is what's going to happen because they don't even want to give uh, credence to the idea of expansion until it's actually settled that there is going to be expansion so yeah, june i think is what their timetable is they're going to meet at the draft anyways no the award ceremony to to finalize that so uh we we think there's going to be expansion right at some point do you think 2017 or 2018? Uh, or do you think they're going to stagger it where one year it'll be Vegas, the other year it'll be someone well, it, else? Well, it, it depends on where there it, there needs to be an arena ready to go. So, you know, it depends on it, depending on where it is. If there's an arena in construction, then, yeah, 2018 is probably more realistic. 2017 means you're, you're going to have to have a facility that's going to be complete pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And I think the Vegas facility isn't far off, the T-Mobile Arena. I know that uh, our friends at uh, Sinben have already, uh, already did a tour of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. As far as they can, I mean, it's still a construction site, but you've got Quebec also with the uh, building that's uh, just about finished over there as well. So that said, um, here's what we've been told about the uh, about the proposed expansion draft. That teams will have two options, whether they safeguard seven forwards, three defensemen, or one goalie, or eight skaters of any kind and one goalie. Now, the difference is, is that uh, you can safeguard ten skaters with seven forwards and three defensemen, or eight skaters four and four, five and three, however you want to do it. Both with only one goalie. Uh, this would inc- also exclude first and second year pros to playing professional hockey at any level will be exempt from the expansion draft. But if they're ending their third year professional hockey, they will no longer be exempt. They either have to be protected or exposed. Unsigned draft picks will also be exempt. Now, total salaries from the players made available by each team in the expansion draft must be at least 25% of the previous season's payroll for that team. That's a little bit tricky. Um, so even if this draft was held in 2017, which is, you know, the season after next, if Nashville decided to go with the second plan, which is essentially you're safeguarding eight skaters and one goaltender, the worst thing that you would lose would probably be a two seasons after this, a Pecorine who's definitely on the downslide. This is the worst case scenario, is that if the is if you leave Rene unprotected and decide to protect Soros. Which absolutely you do. Which you do that. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, one, we don't know the official rules. 
No, again, I mean these these are based these are suppositions based off of the prior expansion. Uh, so they're uh, so you've got more teams now, which probably means you're going to have the option to protect more of your players, right? Um, because you're you're having one team draw from from thirty teams rather than having uh, well, the last expansion was it four teams. For the his, last time it was it was two, right? Well, you had it was, a, it was four total teams, but you had Nashville one year. Next year it was uh, Atlanta. The year after that it was Columbus and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had kind of four uh, teams in three lot, years. There was a lot more going on, so it, and there was fewer teams to draw from, so you had to have more room. So, so you're they're probably going to have more protection, more players who can, you can protect. And uh, there's been no indication of what they're going to do about no movement, no trade clauses. Uh, and there's just a whole lot of questions that haven't been answered, and no one quite knows what they're, where they're going to be. So there's, there's a lot of premature things going on about, hey, who should we protect? Who should we who should we not protect? And and all these crazy conversations. And you can throw out all sorts of weird ideas. Like I, I said, hey, you know what? You know who you shouldn't protect? Shea Weber. Why? Because yeah. why would you pick up that contract? Mm-hmm. If you were starting a new team, why would you take a contract where if a player who's going to be in his early 30s now or getting close to his mid-30s, if he retires, is going to hamstring your franchise with cap recapture because you get into that mess with Nashville. That's not a place you want to play. So mm-hmm. why not leave that? I mean, if they take him, I'd be a little bit surprised. Um, also, just because it doesn't, it's not a way to run a franchise. No. And you still see articles getting run about, about the poison pill that Nashville swallowed by signing Weber. I mean, a lot of people, are, you, know, you get articles saying, you know, Philadelphia won the, on the offer sheet. Despite the fact that they didn't get him, right? Uh, I mean, that, no one, no one in Nashville really talks about how bad that contract is. No, people are afraid to talk about it. They talk about the money, but they don't talk about the nature of how bad the contract is. But that's beside the point. I mean, everyone's getting really, really agitated. It's not even worth talking about who is at risk for getting picked up Mm-mm. until the rules are revealed. And also, if if it's if it's uh, you know happens the end of next year, end of next season. You, there's a lot of differences in contract. If it happens before free agency, then you're going to have fewer players anyway, so you, you, cause there's going to be a lot of things up in the air. Yeah, and also the big thing to remember about this expansion draft is if you own a jersey with, like, Forsberg, Neil, Johansson, Yossi, you are fine. You're, you're fine. set. You're, you're, those players are not going anywhere. Regardless, those players are going to be protected. Um, it's just the... Smaller players like you know maybe your your Colin Wilsons, your Craig Smiths, your Gabriel Borks, like those those type of guys. But at the same time, when you actually think about it, you've got one at the max two of those lower level players leaving, and you have a higher percentage of those players getting traded away in the summer for some deal yeah. than them getting picked up yeah. in the expansion and, draft. And also, there, there the other thing I've seen some mention is that. You can make teams can make trades to protect players in their team. So you could say, if you don't pick this player, we'll do this. We'll give this to you. You know, typically that's allowed. I know the I, I know MLS does it. I think the NHL has done that in the past. I think the Predators actually did that. That's yeah. um, uh, Vocu- wasn't yeah, wasn't Vokun involved in something like that? Mm, I don't think it was Vokun, but I know because that's how... they picked him up from Montreal, right? It was yeah, part of the expan- It was like part that. of an expansion draft deal or something. Um, but yeah, so yeah. The, there's a lot of things, and until you know the actual rules of engagement, you're getting a little hell of yourself when you start fighting. When you start kind of simulating battles, you don't have enough information. Yeah, I've seen way too many articles about you know, you know, predicting who would be who would be exposed, who wouldn't yeah, be exposed, no. and it was it was kind of a, it's a good educational uh, exercise. But for the most part, I'm seeing it's it's going to be. I don't. I don't think it's warranted of, of this kind of panic. All the all the jokes people made for an entire season about hot takes 
have now coalesced into actual entities that that generate crap content <laughs> because of everyone getting excited and making jokes about hot takes. I mean, I hear it constantly and everywhere now, and people say it seriously. Like, we want your hot takes. It's like you guys realize that's a derisive term for crap content, right? But it's everywhere, and like people expect to produce it. I mean, it's like the sports blogging world and even like a level up have gone like full Donald Trump on us and it's ridiculous. Yeah, this election right here is a good example of what an internet commenting section happen can, <laughs> can, can do. Like you know, on both sides Game of the aisle. Game sentience. <sighs> so, um, looking at that, uh, let's see. Yeah, I really, I don't want to talk anymore about it. Screw it. Um, I got a couple comment questions then we'll get into five tough questions and then we'll uh, GTHO. Let's see what we got here. I actually got some good ones from the uh, comment section today. Um, with 10 games left, this is from REW182. With 10 games left, will either Philip Forsberg or James Neal break the single-season goal record of 33 set by Jason Arnott? Yes. Which one? I have to believe. I have to yes. believe. Right I now, Forsberg's Forsberg. at 29. Neal's at 27. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Forsberg's going to break it, yeah. it's going to have to be Forsberg. Yeah. I don't think I'd, I'd like Neil to hit thirty. If Neil hits thirty, he's met my expectations. I think he will hit thirty. To be honest with you, he's, so. he's what twenty. He's at twenty eight. Okay, twenty seven. Yeah, that's three goals in ten games. I think he can do that. Um, yeah, Forsberg is going to break the single season goal record, barring injury or something like that. Um, and I think Neil's going to hit 30. I think that this will be the first time since 2005, 2006 that Nashville has had two 30-goal scorers on its roster. On separate lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Monster writes in, and this one's probably going to take up a, a couple minutes right here. Uh-oh. How would you rate the coaching job that Peter Laviolette has done? Let's talk about just this year. This season? Just this year. Let's, let's, let's look at that. Because he came up with a winning formula, but for the first what, three or four months of the season, the results weren't there. It would have been real easy for, you know, just to start throwing stuff at the wall. It would have been real easy for him to just kind of lose his cool with his team and can burn out a bit quicker. He didn't do that. Uh, we never got that impression where he was just peeling the paint off the wall every single night. I mean, you know he's an intense guy, but I don't get that impression where he really cracked the whip too hard on a younger team. No, and I think some people might be thinking in their heads about the amount of line changes that happen throughout the season but I mean that's what an NHL coach does you can talk to 29 other fan bases and they will tell you oh our our coaches tinkering with the lines too much that just that's the nature of a 82 game hockey season because I would you know my rating I have from right now is sort of in this null zone between like a C plus and a B minus I think if you get in like out of 100 points I think he's like between like 78 and 81 points and I say this because I mean he's he's had a lot of great results. The team's responding; they're in a playoff spot. Uh, the way three on three has been handled is disastrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that comes down on him. I mean, I don't care if an assistant coach is in charge of it; he's the coach. It comes down on him. He's right. the manager. Uh, I, I think that there's been some obvious problems as far as as the teams play in front of of the, their their own goaltender and how they defend the goaltender. And I, I think that's been fairly poor all season as far as keeping that area clean, about covering bodies, about paying attention. That's been an ongoing issue, and it's not an inexperienced defensive core out there. It's a very experienced defensive core. Uh, so I, I've been very disappointed with that, and it seems to be pretty consistent. Uh, and, and those two things combined have caused the Predators a lot of problems this season. Uh, I, I think if either of those gets fixed, he moves into the solid kind of a solid B range. But neither of those problems have gotten fixed from what I've what I've been able to see, and 
Uh, there's not a lot of time to turn around the the, the three on three, and I, and I doubt being in a playoff position, Laviolette's all that concerned with fixing three on three for this season. No, it's not What's a priority. At yeah, all. Why, why would you do that? No, uh, you also say I uh, could go back and mention what we talked about a little bit earlier on the show is as far as the the players that he's used, utilizing because you know he's got uh, Colton Sissons around there and uh, he's continuing to use Gostas, continuing to use Nystrom, um, and the handling of the uh, defensemen over the past couple weeks has been a little odd. I- I'm not sure, you know, what what was going on with Barrett Jackman, if they just wanted to get, you know, Granberg and Potato some looks. Uh, that was a little bit odd. But, you know, at the same time, despite the fact that they ran themselves into the ground with three-on-three, three, uh, they're pretty much exactly where they need to be at this point. I mean, they, they survived the awful December and January that they had and they've ramped it up I mean it's it's kind of, it's hard to forget with how bad that they were before about just how great that point streak that they had was over the past couple of weeks and that really vaulted them to a spot where you see how well this team can play and I think that that is on Laviolette as far as keeping his guys in check and saying okay look just stick to what we're doing and it'll turn around yeah uh, there's a lot of truth to that I mean we were getting we got we you and I both know that we were getting a lot of comments in the comments section and people blowing us up on Twitter. Lavalier should be fired. Team ain't no damn good. You know we got a whole lot of that. Yeah, it's like what are you guys doing? Like they're out shooting everybody they play. They're carrying the fight to the opponent. You know Pecorine for the longest time didn't have it. Mm-mm. I mean he's. But I think the All Star yeah. game actually may have loosened him up a little bit and maybe he's had back to having fun and maybe he's just. I don't know. Yeah, but still, that's, I mean really yeah. But if if Peck improves, it's maybe. Eight points in the standings, which is significant. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at maybe probably eight points in the standings somewhere in that na- neighborhood. I'm just really quick estimating. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's definitely been a, a problem, but they've dropped more than eight points in other areas yeah, um, that, are, that coaching, I think, has more control over. Yeah, look at overtime. But I, I do disagree with you about the uh, about the defense core being very experienced. I mean, when Jackman got hurt, you have Ellis and Eckholm, which we think are very experienced, but the reality is, is these guys are only been in playing legit NHL hockey for how many years now? Three? Yeah, like I three years. An, I mean, and I, then you have like Batetto and no Granberg. Then with three years not being experienced. Then you have Batetto and Granberg, who, you know, no experience for the most part. So, I, I mean, as good as Weber and, and Yossi are, I mean, they're who have the experience to be able to, to essentially be card carrying NHL players anywhere they go, especially in the case of Shea Weber, but Yossi's kind of getting up there as well. Uh, this is definitely not a very experienced defensive core when Barrett Jackman's out. I, I I think we'll just disagree on that, but yeah, that's fine. I, I, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from, but I think as far as performance goes, it, it speaks for itself. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to get to before uh, anything NHL wise we want to get to before we uh, touch on five tough questions? Uh, can we just have a moment of of uh, just to think back to that potato through pass? Mm. On the Neil goal? On the Neil goal. Oh, Can so we just have a moment to, to so just cool. enjoy that? Because so gorgeous. As as generally poor as Potato and Granberg have been as defensemen, man, they have some nice passes when they put their mind to it. This they is, can distribute the puck a, pretty well. It's a process with young players. They're going to be ter- going to have moments where they're going to be terrible. But uh, I've I've been impressed with Potato kind of at least making strides, at least getting better. Most yeah, part. we'll we'll have to see how he performs next year. I'm just not. I'm not. Super I'm not super excited about it, but at the end of the day, he's a third-pairing defenseman. You know, I'm not expecting him to go right. out there and cure cancer. No. <laughs> Just not really expecting I, a whole I, lot. I would like to hear Tony Batetto 
talk about curing cancer. Cure cancer. With his accent, <laughs> yeah. Just, just drink a lot of water and get a lot of herbs in there. You'll be fine. Yeah. Get a truckload full of them potassiums. <laughs> 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 All right. On that note. Uh, I think you guys went to, you went to Boston with that. That was... It's good. I liked it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Oh, no, I liked I was, it. I was, it's good. I have a hard time differentiating. Like, my, like I can hear the difference between a Long Island accent in my head, but when it comes out, it comes out more Boston when I try and say it. They're very similar peoples. I will say that culturally. <laughs> really? No. No. Number one, five tough questions brought to you always by a dynamic sponsor opportunity here. Number one, uh, the Predators made their last visit to Rexall Place or Northlands Coliseum or whatever you want to call it, the old barn in Edmonton. Now, if you two can go back in time, what old arena would you like to go see a game in? Ooh, uh, I think it'd probably be somewhere uh, a tie between the Maple Leaf Gardens and the old Montreal Forum. I think that just the history that the Montreal Forum has, and I'm sorry that that's a cop-out answer, but just the history that it has there would be just so incredible to go see. I'm trying to remember the name of the college. I think it was a college hockey rink that had the clear boards. <sighs> Ooh, I'm going to have to What is the up. name of that? I cannot remember the name of it. Uh... Because I was re- actually read this great history article about how they came to be and where that you know what and it tried, people trying to figure out what happened to the boards because they were only used very sparing used a very little bit, but you see photos of it and just it's so disconcerting. The St. Paul Civic Center, yeah, St. Paul, St. Paul. There we go. I'd like to see a game with the clear boards, which simply don't exist because you can't put ads on clear boards. Maybe well, yeah, that's true. The Civic Center is best remembered for its unique hockey boards that are made of clear acrylic glass all the way down to the ice. This is because the seating configuration was round, meaning the closest seats were not right up against the glass. I would love to see something as novel as that. That is a really cool answer. I was expecting to hear, like, the Spectrum. But I've seen games <laughs> in the Spectrum. Yeah. That's when I went to games when I was younger. Yeah, the Spectrum still stood up until, like, recently, right? It, yeah, they only tore it down a couple, uh, was it three years ago. Yeah, it was just, I mean, they had to take it down piece by piece because of the septa line because they couldn't just demo it like they do other arenas. They had, they, it, for the longest time, there was just a hole knocked in the side of it. And just <laughs> For the longest time, just a giant hole in the side of the spectrum. And they weren't, I guess they were just doing stuff in, inside and they mm-hmm. needed a way to, I don't know, they were just chucking stuff out the giant hole. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty Philly. It was sad. That's pretty Philly. Um, That's where they were going to put the cream filling for the giant... Uh, Tasty cake. cake. Yeah, they were building. <laughs> Giant butterscotch crumpet on the <laughs> in South Philadelphia. Not a filling at a butterscotch crumpet, Dan. Sorry. You can get you can get crumpets with filling, but not the traditional one. The butterscotch. I'm gonna go get one of those at the grocery store tonight. Yeah, those are so damn good. Um, I'd go. To, I would either go like the Tampa Bay when they were playing at the fairgrounds. <laughs> they played they, for the first two years. They played in like the Thunderdome, which is now where the Rays play now at Tropicana Field. Then they played at like the Expo Center at the at the Florida State Fairgrounds, <laughs> and I would just imagine like this this loud like agricultural building where that's housing an NHL rink. That would have been cool. You got the NHL rink at the next door. You've got some cows and well, some I mean, horses. As you know, that the the fairgrounds stayed dormant for most of the year, so it's just like the the remnants of of animals in there. It just <laughs> smells, you know, like 4-H all the time. That would have been great. I'm mm. sure the Western Canadian guys loved it. Number two, during the NHL meetings, one of the general managers brought up the, quote, Patrick Kane loophole 
And this is where they're talking about Patrick Kane being a long-term injured reserve last year, which gave Chicago enough cap relief to allow him to bring in some talent at the deadline last year. The question is, what are you more surprised about? That A, another general manager brought this up at the meeting, or B, that the general manager wasn't David Poyle? That another general manager brought it up in the um, meeting I, in general. I, I don't think I, I don't think either is particularly surprising. Um, I think that the teams that aren't cap teams are the teams that, that by principle, because there's some people that will by principle follow the rules because they are the rules and as the way you conduct business. Uh, they're always going to bring those things up because uh, if you sit and you let people exploit loopholes, um, there it's just not it's you know it's you see as an unfair advantage. Uh, so I'm not terribly surprised. Uh, I don't know who did bring it up. Uh, Murray of the Anaheim Ducks. Okay, well, I mean, I think that's a great guy to bring it up because that's a, that's a team that spends money, that has always had quality players, uh, and could probably pull off those kind of antics with the injury history they've had the past few years, and haven't. I think that's great, and and I'm glad someone brings it up uh, because that being an MLS fan, I see a lot of the have teams getting a lot of weird benefits that don't seem to trickle down to other teams, like blind envelope drawings that somehow mysteriously go to the exact team that most wanted a player. Hmm. Like, oh, it's a blind drawing. Anyone can win. Oh, wait, the exact team that wanted to win wins. That's so crazy. <laughs> if only we hadn't done this behind a wall where you guys could see how everything happened so randomly. Um, or teams, like, they, there's in a lot. There's like, there's like eight international slots you can have players in. Well, one team traded for one, and they, traded, and they bought another one, which is perfectly legal. And so they had ten. And then they signed another international player, and everyone's like, how could they do that? Well, the league just gave them a, a, an 11th uh, slot. Like, here, have a slot. And, I mean, that's, I mean, and so I see all that stuff, and I think about, you look at the Blackhawks, where they can just, they kind of do what they want. And granted, I mean, good on Scotty Bowman. I mean, that's how you, if there's a loophole and you find it and you exploit it, ultimately I think that's fine. There's nothing morally wrong about taking advantage of, of a loophole in a system. Uh, the problem is the loophole existed. The problem exactly. is the loophole existed. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad it's called out. Uh, hopefully that we, we see them fix it. I think that just helps all the teams uh, be able to compete on, on similar ground. Because it's also a, a loophole that teams that aren't at the cap can't take advantage of. Right. Like they, you know, or they can. I mean, if a, if a right player gets injured and then they can stack. I mean, it's just shame on you, Chicago. I mean, just in general, Words to live not just by. not yeah. just not just for that, but just in general. Let's be honest. Your casserole sucks, and your traffic's awful. And you take the ice to stranglehold by Ted Nugent. And you have a statue of Bobby Hall outside. Number three, Jimmy Vesey and Harvard will play against Perennial Power Boston College on Friday. Um, this is actually related to one of our questions in the comments section. So I didn't feel Murph Pred. This is somewhat related to yours. If Harvard is ousted quickly from the NCAA tournament, does that improve Nashville's chances of signing Jimmy Vesey? It doesn't hurt them. I mean, he's done, and he's going to want to probably be sad for a little bit. But then, oh, hey, I can join a team that's competing in the Stanley Cup? Hmm. Especially before they go to the playoffs. Like, oh, I I can burn a year off my ELC. I can get some big league money. I can uh, jump in on a line with James Neal and Ryan Johansson. That's that's actually an interesting thing that that you just made me think of, John. What's up? With the amount of salesmanship that Poyle's put into this and saying, hey, you're going to step into the top line. Isn't that exciting? We see you as being in our top six. You want to step in the top line? You're already giving him a really strong case to contract negotiations. I mean, you're going to end up probably paying him more than you might otherwise, just given the, 
given what you've promised him. Like, hey, you're a top six forward already. Well, well don't give me ch- chump change then. Well, I mean, they haven't paid a they haven't paid a dime for his development so far. So it all washes. Yeah, and I mean, considering the fact that they are capped as far as what they're able to pay him when he signs, um, you know, like, okay, we're going to give you a top six uh, opportunity. Uh, You're still going to be making the same as anyone else signing their ELC would be making, you know, provided bonuses and salary and everything like that. And then, okay, in two years, once your uh, contract is up, You've played like a top six center this entire or a top six winger this entire time. We'll pay you like a top six winger. We'll give you the. Con- I mean, if you perform like Philip Forsberg, but you're going to be getting, you're going to get better opportunities than Philip Forsberg got to succeed because you're going to be playing beside, you know, James Neal, Ryan Johansson. He played beside for the most part of his big money season, Mike Ribeiro and Craig Smith. So if you perform like him, you'll get paid like him. And and uh, and I a. Uh, 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 angry part of me wants him just to not sign in Nashville and I just want to dance in the flames of all the rage and sadness. <laughs> yeah, but you also worship chaos. I, I just, it, when, when everything, like people just get so fanatical into in, in, in something, I just want to like, I just want to pull the rug out from underneath. <laughs> I mean, practical, pragmatic me says, oh yeah, we absolutely want VZ. But I do think that it, that for situations like this where a team, where a player does, you know, kind of jilt a team like this, I think compensation needs to be given to that team, because otherwise. Oh, but you just said they didn't spend a dime developing him. No, they didn't spend a dime developing him. But if he signs somewhere else, Nashville gets nothing. Why should they? If they drafted. Player, yeah, but if, well, if they draft, say, I don't know, Ponus Oberg, and he gives them nothing. They don't get any compensation. Yeah, maybe but he signed an ELC with them. Although that's a different argument, maybe for another time, because that was a big thing with uh, Ian Desmond uh, in MLB this year, because he was an unrestricted free agent, but the way that their free agency works, the Nationals had to qualify him. So since they tendered him a qualifying offer that he was obviously going to re- reject, the uh, uh, CBA in Major League Baseball stipulates that, okay, this player has been tendered a qualifying offer. Whoever signs him has to give them, that player, a draft pick. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, sounds all well and good, but the dude didn't sign a contract until, like, right after spring training started because no one wanted to give a draft pick. And and he's a great player, and lesser players that the Nationals did not tender qualifying offers to got signed up immediately for, like, three, four years or whatever like that, so... There are some problems with that in MLB down the road, which I could see with an issue like that. But don't they have, doesn't the MLB like in their draft have like twenty rounds? Yeah, the MLB yep. draft is kind of like the the worst, and it's the best and the worst draft because I do like the idea of, and this is something I think the college hockey should look into, and same with the with uh, college football and college basketball should look into as well. You can draft a guy right out of high school in in profession in baseball. You could draft a guy. I mean, half of Vanderbilt's recruiting class every year for college baseball gets picked up by the MLB. Now, about half of them stay and go to Vanderbilt. Now, you can re-enter the draft after your junior year. So, let's say, uh, you know, you, you draft like a Connor McDavid or someone like that. He goes and plays college hockey instead. He can re-enter the draft after his third year in Minnesota because, of course, he's going to go to a school in Minnesota. So, that would be interesting. I don't know if I'd like it or not. I don't think I like it, <laughs> hearing about it. <laughs> the more I say it, I, you know what? I, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I think it would be great. I think it would save college basketball for the record, though. I think basketball should look into that. Number four, Tyler Sagan is going to be out for a while with a partially cut Achilles tendon that, like we mentioned earlier, he can't wait to show you on Twitter. 
and Corey Crawford is day-to-day with an upper body injury. Corey Crawford's going to miss tonight's start. Scott, Scott Darling is going to start his third straight game. Between the two of them, now both of them do have a lead over, over Nashville right now, but between the two of them, which is more likely to be caught by Nashville before the regular season ends? Chicago. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can catch Dallas. Like, I don't think the Predators could catch Dallas. Mm. I, 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 honestly, I don't think that they're going to catch either of them because they're what you said that they're five points behind uh, Chicago right now. Currently, they're five points behind Chicago. They are. Wow, they're okay. ten points and with a game in hand against uh, Dallas. Right, uh, and uh, so that's five points behind Chicago, which is really six because they need to get m- more points than they do because Correct. they don't hold any tiebreakers. Nashville has thirty-three row by comparison, uh, re- regulation overtime wins by comparison. Chicago has forty-one. Yeah, exactly. So you're not, you're not, you have to make six points over the Chicago Blackhawks in ten games. It's not happening. It's really not because Darling isn't a ter- awful goaltender. No, he's I mean, not. He's a very yeah. competent. Tyler Sagan's more into more in more an integral part of uh, Dallas's success, but yeah, the glass cannon needs its ammo. Yes, the glass cannon needs its ammo. That is that full marks for that one. Points. You're, for, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Points to to Hufflepuff. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, I'd Why do you say such hurtful things <laughs> yeah, to me, Dan? If Flick was a, it was a Harry Potter house, he'd be Ravenclaw. He'd be Ravenclaw. Thank you. Thank you, John. Hey, granted, I am, I'm currently very unhappy with uh, J.K. Rowling. So yeah, I the, think the, I talked the, about the last making, week. No, did I? No, uh, I don't think we you did. did. Then they're making a sequel, right? Or making, or sending, releasing another book? Uh, no. no they're making the, another movie based off a book she wrote that I haven't read. No, there's like a... I walked past a Barnes & Noble over the weekend. There's oh, like no, a, no, no, no. Okay, um... I, yeah, I had to clarify this with Chris Martell, um, and I think he already knew, but he didn't care. Uh, it is not a book; it is a it is a public or a, pub, a published version of the script for the stage play. Oh. That so it, yeah. it it is it is canon and all that stuff, but it is a published script. <sighs> we pu- picking up the wizard story nineteen years after the final novel in the series. Okay. Well, I guess I. Well, yeah. Okay, whatever. I could, I could, I could have a whole half an episode dedicated to the problems with with with, with uh, J.K. Rowling's authorship and and the and the whole universe like universe she created. I could be very, I'm very. I, I enjoy the books. I'm also very, very critical of them. That, that sounds like a lot of things about <laughs> your, in your universe. <laughs> number five, which is related to number four, is there a team that Nashville should try to avoid in the first round, like the plague, to the point where. If someone's in the someone's win, someone won the division or something, you try to drop down to number every, eight. Every, every every team, every team, they should avoid every team. every team. They should yeah. they should avoid every team and just go ahead and go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, because I don't think they can. They, I don't think they can make it this year. Use the back door. To yeah, get they back need to get around everybody. File an injunction. It's like the Blackhawks walking in the project. Like, We're already in the locker room. Go away. We got to play Washington in like twenty minutes. Leave. <laughs> but seriously, is there a team that uh, just the UC has that? Has anything changed, or as far as uh, like matchups go, or no? I mean, uh, you mentioned earlier today about the Blackhawks, the mental like block that they have there. Um, I think that if they can go an entire playoff series without um, playing the Blackhawks, that'd be great. I mean, everyone wants to talk about like oh redemption and how great would it be to beat the Blackhawks in the playoffs. And you know, it'd be great also just to not play them at all, yeah. just to have to avoid that stress altogether. Yeah. I, I, I think I've already forgotten the full context of your question, so I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Sure. Was, well, is there a team that Nashville should try to avoid in the first round? Or is it a team it. that just matches up terribly, that's a terrible matchup for Nashville? Yeah, they I, mean, I, I think they definitely 
every day of the week need to avoid the Blues. Uh, I just think that's going to to drive them insane. Uh, I, I really, it's a tough call between the Blues and the Kings and who I want them to avoid the most. And I think it's ultimately the Blues. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams in the center. Like I, I think the Blackhawks. I think they could beat them in a series. I do. You know, if you if you do ten series, they're probably only going to win maybe two of them. But I think they have they have a decent they have a shot. I think Dallas would not necessarily be a problem. I think the Ducks, the pre- the Predators play well against the Ducks. They match up well against the Ducks, uh, and then the Sharks are sort of a wild card. They match up good against. They've won um, against the Sharks. Uh, yeah, the Sharks, but the, but the Kings. Yeah, the Kings, and then right above them, I put the Blues as far as the teams I would not want to see the Predators face. I, I want to agree with you with the with the Blues, and just because they're a bigger team, they hold onto the puck for forever, and they are, they are completely okay with winning a very ugly, ugly yeah, hockey and, game. And, and I want to enjoy the playoffs and. The the best thing that we could hope for uh, from a Predators Blues matchup is going to be if you're a big fan of of like dirty plays and fighting because that's what's going to devolve into because the Blues can't control themselves. Or if I'm just, not really interested in watching yeah, that. Or if you just absolutely hate scoring, that'd be a, another yeah, thing. If you hate all the things that make hockey fun and wish hockey was more like it was in the '80s or the '70s, then that series will be for you. So so should we look forward to a Blues-Minnesota series and that's just going to kill hockey? <laughs> or should we hope that the Avalanche somehow make it through? I don't want the Avalanche to do anything remotely productive or happy for them, so... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I I would I'd, I'd rather see the I'd Avalanche get rid of trade Jerome Ginlet to anywhere, please. I want to see the Avalanche make it in just because I, there's something different. I don't want Minnesota to have any joy at all. Well, I mean, the, Minnesota's going to get in, and then they're going to get bounced by the Hawks again. I mean, that is just uh, that is on repeat. Right, but that would be in like the second round, though. Why didn't the Why didn't the Avalanche trade Jerome Ginlet to like the Florida Panthers? Wouldn't that have been the best thing? That would have been. Have you loved thing. every second of it? Because they don't know how to run a hockey organization. Because they, <laughs> they did tra- hire Patrick. Wong. Because they trade Alex Tangay for a worse player. <laughs> that's that's kind of what they do. All right, guys. Uh, let's look at the schedule real quick before we get out of here. Uh, coming up, they have the Los Angeles Kings, aforementioned, on Monday. That's uh, likely going to be a preview of the first round that's series for Nashville. That's what you call an important matchup? Rather important matchup. Not a must-win, as they like to say. <laughs> no, Dan, didn't you know it's the time of year where every game is a must-win game? Every, every game is a must-win game. Every, I'm putting my mind in, in, into Stu's head. What would he be thinking right now? I hate... Do I, do I, hate. I, have, am I, at, do I have a clean black button-down button, button down shirt in my closet? If not, can I get someone to iron it for me? This I don't know. The do, head of Stu Grimson. I, I just for the I don't know if I've said it here, but I just I hate with a burning passion the term must win game. I hate it. Yeah, they, they got it's a the, must hate phrase. I hear they got the Kings on Monday. They have some off time. They had play again on Thursday at home against the Vancouver Canucks, and then Seth Jones and friends come to town on Saturday in Columbus. So again, another two to one. Another another two one week is completely within the sights there. Uh, I'd like to see him beat the Kings. I like to see him at least get a point out of that game. Just something to kind of stick in their mind that, you know what, this is the team we're probably going to be staring across the ring from and just to get a shot in them would be great. They should win against the Kings because that'll be a very motivational boost for them. It'll be like, okay, yes, we are ready to do this, but that is different from a must win. Yes. But on the upside, there's a lot of good things about this week. No back-to-backs, finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made it through that gauntlet of back-to-backs. Uh I just I, this this strikes me as a week where the Predators go in, uh, you know Monday night, beat the Kings and then proceed to just 
crap the bed against, against I, all, all the adrenaline's <laughs> gone yeah it's just like oh well we we tried real hard uh, we're done now they've only got three road games left and two of those are against the stars yeah they have a really kind of nice yeah the, their their end of the schedule is just cake uh yeah you got well, uh you got, you got you at got least one playoff team. You got the Sharks. Teams. You got the Avs. You got the Avs twice, actually. Yeah, I, think so, I would say it's a balanced. It's like a balanced end of the season. You're not ending on like a bunch of, oh, look, we're we're sort of sweeping the floor with these guys. Don't they have uh, more home games than uh, road games left? Oh, they, they've um, only got definitely. three road games. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's nice. Eight and three is yeah. pretty nice. And your three road and your two of your three road games are against the Dallas Stars. But how will they bond? You can't bond when you're not on the road. That's what I understand. That's right, boys. <laughs> we'll go on the road. Well, I mean, now they've got Eric Nystrom to feed them those sick beats. Oh, for crap's sake. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else before we close up the book on this one? Uh, no. I just uh, I'm, I'm, I want to hear more of Eric Nystrom's sick beats. I don't. I don't. I, but, well, the more time he spends at home, the more time ah, he has to compose sick beats. This is this is true. It's kind of oh, hard. there we go. In we need to, we need to get someone to install a uh, like a turntable. In like the press area where the players will hang out sometimes when they're scratched, he'd never want to leave. Just like a just like a, a convection stove, like a convection stove, and a turntable. He can like make a steak and, which is actually kind of a similar motion. We get Chef Nod on that. Yeah, <laughs> that guy was awesome. All right, you can follow him on Twitter at 3D Link. You can follow John on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can follow myself at Dan D Bradley. This has been the Predcast. Um, Last words. Why am I always him? I never, I, get, I never get a name anymore. Yeah. You're usually the guy who says something right before I decide, all right, dude, let's screw this. It's the end of the show. It's like my problem. I can't not reply to text messages. It's a problem for me. <laughs> Except when I ask, hey, what time do you guys want to do the show? I don't always and see like, a text right away. <laughs> and then like an hour and a half later. I'm not beholden guys? to you, Dan. <laughs> all right, everyone. Let's talk to you all next week. Enjoy.